A warning, today's story involves murder, violence, torture, gore, and discussion of self-harm that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story about the Irinies, but a combination of stories and texts. Today's episode combines a number of Greek legends for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and we're in the thick of our Monsters of Revenge series. Join me as we hunt down the creatures who will stop at nothing to get their pound of flesh. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, our fates bring us face to face with the Irinies. These sisters of the night, Alecto, Magira, and Tisiphone, are ancient Greek goddesses of vengeance. They answer to no one, and all they crave is justice and blood. Coming up, a mortal tempts fate and gets the Furies' attention. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know, Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Irinies were bloodthirsty flesh-eaters who enforced the unwritten rules of ancient Greek society. Later dubbed the Furies by the Romans, they thrived on death and destruction. Even their conception was violent. When Uranus, god of the sky, was castrated by his own son, his blood fell onto Gaia, goddess of the earth. The Irinies were born from that blood in a torrent of flapping, bat-like wings with hissing hair made of snakes. According to some accounts, these fearsome creatures lived in Tartarus, lower even than Hades, and the section of the Greek underworld that most closely corresponds with the Christian idea of hell. There they tormented the souls of the wicked. But the Irinii's vengeful acts weren't confined to Tartarus. 
Dressed in tunics and boots like the huntresses of ancient Greece, the Irinaeis would track down and punish anyone on earth who had broken the laws of society and morality. Wherever they saw injustice, they would act. They protected beggars and social outcasts and were particularly vicious to those who'd broken oaths or hurt their own families. They would begin by cursing the offender's hometown, usually with felled crops and barren animals. If that didn't get the offender to repent, things would escalate. Disease would follow. As a last resort, the Irinaeis would leave their lair and give chase to the vile character. They would pursue them until they went mad, then consume the evildoer entirely. May the gods have pity on anyone who draws their ire. Milos ducked behind the brush, hands still drenched in his mother's blood. He'd taken no pleasure in killing her. He even told her what he'd do if she didn't advance his inheritance. She made her decision knowing the consequences. Mother didn't think he was bold enough to hurt her, but she'd always underestimated Milos. So really, her death was her own fault. Of course, that wouldn't calm the angry chanting, and it was growing closer by the moment. Milos never planned for a bloodthirsty mob to hunt him down. His mother wasn't that important. She was a humble healer who mostly treated the beggars and lepers on the outskirts of town, charging next to nothing. That was Milos's problem with her, in fact. He could never be a great and powerful man if his mother wasted all of her inherited fortune on these peons. He'd planned to pin her murder on one of her beloved lepers, but they were smarter than he'd thought, and their grief for his mother had driven them to rage. Now they'd gathered all the other rejects of society to block his escape. Milos thought he'd be in Athens by now, his purse bursting with gold. He belonged in a proper city, not wasting away on the forsaken island of Agistri. But the dream was delayed. Instead, since dusk, he'd been dodging the vengeful horde. The orange glow of torches lit up the night sky. Milo snuck behind a fig tree as the mob marched down the path, straight to his front door. They didn't knock. They just rammed the door open and skittered inside like it was their own home. The thought of these animals in his house made Milos's stomach churn. Milos waited for the entire mob to rush in before he stepped out of the brush. He ran to the door, easing it shut, then grabbed his spear and wedged it through the handle. The front door was the only way out of the house, which meant they were stuck inside. Then he snatched a torch from a sconce by the entry and lit the door aflame. Fire spread from the door to the front wall. Soon, Milos could hear the panicked cries of the poor inside. He took a step back. The brutal reality of what he'd just done began to sink in. As he contemplated his great loss, a tear of grief welled in his eye. He muttered to himself, 
I really wanted to keep this place as a summer home. Milos shook the feeling off and wiped his bloody hands on his tunic. He needed to get to his grandfather's before word of his mother's death spread. The old fool would readily believe whatever he said, and he would gladly lend his boat to his poor, innocent grandson. Milos jerked his head above him and recoiled. Bats circled above. He hated bats, disgusting creatures. But these bats weren't flying around blindly. They were hovering in the air and staring right at him. Alecto flapped her leathery wings against the scorching hurricane that swirled above Tartarus, irked that the snakes growing from her head had gotten tangled. Typically, she'd stand guard at the mile-high bronze gates, watching as wicked souls tried in vain to force their way out through the bars. But today, she decided to meander. She hoped it would liven things up. While she loved her job and her sisters, things did get repetitive down here, and she rarely felt joy. Then, just as she'd hoped, she saw something that sent a grin across her stony face. It was Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill. Watching him struggle made her feel warm inside, and she almost giggled every time it rolled back down the mountain over and over. She had to admit she was capable of such delightful punishments. The sound of wings flapping behind her could only mean her sisters were approaching. Alecto shouted over her shoulder as her eyes stayed locked on Sisyphus's struggle. This had better be important, girls. I'm working. Her sister Tisiphone snapped back. Well, there's work to be done up above. Alecto finally turned. Tisiphone's arms were crossed sullenly and Majira's snake hair was sticking out in every direction, a sure sign she was enraged. Alecto was curious. Which dreadful mortal has caught your attention this time? Majira scowled. My bats tell me that his name is Milos. He killed his mother, then burned a house full of lepers and beggars alive. Alecto didn't bother to glance back as Sisyphus's boulder rolled down the hill. She was too intrigued. Oh, how dreadful. Let's begin with the usual. Kill whoever aids this wretch Milos. <laughs> oh, how I'll relish drinking this one's blood. Up on Milos's tiny island of Agistri, he tried to ignore the bats that seemed to follow him as he tapped on his grandfather Lekis's door. Milos quickly tore his tunic, his face awash with practiced desperation. This little act had to work. The door opened and Leaky squinted. Milos, what happened to you, my boy? Milos pushed tears from his eyes. An angry mob attacked Mother. She wasted her precious life helping the dregs of society, and they turned on her. They tried to slay me, too, but I just barely escaped. Likis waved Milos inside. Hurry inside. I'll keep you safe. Milos pushed past him, hoping to avoid the old man's feeble rambling. He noted with some annoyance that the bat outside had followed him in. 
Then he froze in his tracks at the sound of his grandfather violently retching. He turned around to see that Leekis was on his hands and knees, vomiting a stream of bile and blood. Milos backed away in repulsion as Leekis collapsed into his own sick mess. A chill ran down Milos's spine as he realized Leekis was dead. Coming up, the Irinies turn up the heat on Milos. Massive spiders, fierce crocodiles, violent kangaroos. With all of the dangers lurking within Australia, one species remains feared above the rest. Humans. Hi listeners, it's Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Crime Down Under. Every Sunday on Spotify, take a trip to the oldest continent for some of the most shocking true crime cases in modern history. Featuring a compilation of episodes from shows across Parcast Network, Crime Down Under exposes the vicious serial killers, mysterious disappearances, and terrifying crime families whose stories still stop Aussies dead in their tracks. From the beaches and deserts to the cities and suburbs, the land down under may be vast, but the horrors are hiding around every corner. Catch a new episode of Crime Down Under every Sunday. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Milos hovered over his grandfather and nudged him with his foot. He couldn't believe his eyes. One moment, Leekis was alive. The next, he was lying on the ground in a pool of his own vomit. Despite having killed his own mother and an angry mob, Milos had never seen someone die so, well, disgustingly. Leekis's face was twisted in torment, lying sideways in the putrid pool of bile and blood. His mouth was agape in a look of abject terror. Milos rolled his eyes. He wasn't sad exactly, it's just that this escape to Athens wasn't going as planned. Milos sighed and called out over his shoulder to Leekis's servant, Spyro, I think something happened to Grandfather. Spyro? Don't tell me you're napping, you lazy excuse for a houseboy. Milos walked into his grandfather's kitchen. Lying on the kitchen floor was young Spyro, also dead in a pool of his own foulness. Milos shook his head, briefly wondering if they'd eaten some bad fish. Oh well, Athens awaited and it would be easy to steal his grandfather's boat now. The wind cut through the house, 
Milos turned from the dead servant to the window that faced the seafront. It was a hot breeze, more suited for midday than midnight. He frowned and muttered, the weather was fine a moment ago. A shrill scraping sound rattled the walls of Leakes' home, as if the branches on the olive trees outside had come alive. Milo spun to the front door. None of this made sense. If the wind was blowing in from the sea, why were the tree branches on the other side of the house moving? Milo stepped over his grandfather and inched toward the open door. He stuck his head out. Hello? Is anyone there? Milos glared out into the night. He couldn't see a thing, but he could hear voices. He crept out of the doorway, doing his best to scan the property. It was impossibly dark out. The sky, which had been clear and starry when he arrived, looked blotted out. It was like staring into the depths of the abyss. The murmurs grew louder. Suddenly, it occurred to Milos that the sound wasn't coming from outside. The voices were coming from inside his head. He froze as the cacophony melded into one clear, guttural growl. A tone. A shaken Milos raced into the house and slammed the door shut. He kept his eyes trained on the door as he stumbled, failing to notice his grandfather's fallen body. Milos tripped over the old man and tumbled to the ground. He tried to stand, but he couldn't. Something was holding him. Panicked, Milos jerked his leg, but couldn't free it. He glanced down. Leekis's hand was gripping his ankle. Milos shouted, yanked his foot free, and scampered away from the corpse. His heart beat rapidly and his hands shook. He could have sworn that for a moment his grandfather's eyes were open. Something was very wrong in this house. Milos retreated from Leekis's corpse, realizing what he needed. His plan was to go straight down to the dock and take Leekis's boat, but first he wanted a drink. He deserved something to calm his frayed nerves. Milos carefully tiptoed around Spyro's corpse. He wasn't going to be caught off guard again. He ran to Leekis's wine cabinet and shoved all the cheap jugs aside. He knew Leekis kept the good stuff in the back. He pulled out his grandfather's best wine, put the whole jug to his lips, and chugged. The wine streaked down Milos's cheeks as he drank. It was thick and tasted like metal. Something was off about this wine. He dipped his finger in to check and saw that it wasn't wine at all. It was blood. <laughs> Milos gagged and dropped the jar. It shattered on the floor, blood spilling all around him. The ground was now as red as his own tunic. Milos shuddered. He was beginning to think bad fish wasn't to blame. Clearly, his grandfather had offended the gods. Milos wasn't going to stick around any longer to endure this abuse. He turned to run when lightning illuminated the house. The bat dove from the rafters right in front of Milos's eyes. In a flash, he saw a woman's floating face. 
It was grotesque. Dozens of hissing snakes sprung from the top of her skull. It looked like the face of a gorgon. Her gnarled mouth opened, exposing rows of jagged teeth. Then she bellowed, Repent, swine! As quickly as the face appeared, it disappeared. Milos shook himself from the shock, then threw open the back door and ran for the boat. But the moment Milos moved for the dock, a wave rose up and crushed the boat. A voice called out from the tempest, spill your blood and all this will end. Milos winced. He couldn't deny it any longer. This wasn't about his grandfather. This was all about him. In the depths of Tartarus, Alecto, Tisiphone, and Majira hovered in the air above a putrid swamp filled with damned souls. In the water, they watched an image of Milos fretting in his grandfather's house. Alecto closed her eyes and repeated, Spill your blood and all this will end. Then she smirked. This was the part where weak mortals begged for forgiveness or tried to bargain with a sacrifice. But Milos did none of those things. They watched as Milos turned from the sea to scamper up the hill past his grandfather's house. He was headed for the island's highest peak. Majira studied the man, intrigued. Has he already gone mad? I love it when they do that. Alecto shook her head. Not yet. He's headed for Apollo's temple. Tisiphone chuckled. Smart little worm, isn't he? Scurrying to the gods for help. The Irinies looked at each other and grinned. Alecto crowed with delight. He doesn't know that the gods are no match for our fury. Now, let's pay little Milos a visit. I don't know about you ladies, but I'm getting hungry. Coming up, the Irinies bring the depths of Tartarus to the Earth. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now back to the story. Milos pinned a raven against the altar. It wasn't an ideal sacrifice to the gods, but it was the middle of the night, and he was lucky he was able to find anything. He didn't know what terrifying beings were after him, but he needed protection. 
He wished he lived on an island that had a temple dedicated to Ares, god of war. His aid would be quite helpful, but praying to Apollo would have to do. Milos raised his knife, the same one he used to kill his mother, and swung it down on the raven's neck. Milos prayed aloud, Mighty Apollo, I beg you for protection. Grace me with your heavenly presence and protect me from the evils that pursue me. The ground beneath Milos began to shake. He let out a sigh of relief and smiled as a deep voice rumbled from behind the rows of pillars. You come seeking protection, and all you have brought me is one lowly raven? The fair-haired god Apollo stepped out from the pillar and peered down at Milos, one eyebrow raised. Hulking and muscular, he looked like a statue come to life. Milos lowered his gaze. My apologies, but I'm being pursued by something unholy. Gorgons, I'm afraid. I need godly intervention. Apollo said nothing as he stalked around Milos with curiosity. Milos hadn't considered what might happen if Apollo said no. He stared up at the god, anxiously awaiting his response. Finally, Apollo nodded. I applaud your bravery and your humility. Whatever forces are after you, you have Apollo on your side. Milos was just about to thank the god when the storm out on the sea moved up the hillside. Milos pushed himself off the ground. The flutter of bat wings filled the air. It rattled Milos to his core, and he watched in terror as the storm's dense fog spread around Apollo's temple. Milos inched up the temple steps, trying his best to put Apollo between himself and whatever was coming. Apollo glanced at the storm. His deep voice didn't sound nearly as cocky as it had before. I thought you said gorgons were after you? I have never seen gorgons travel like this. Three shapes appeared in the fog above them. Wide, bat-like wings flapped away the mist. Though the unseasonably hot breeze blew again, all the hairs on Milos's body stood on end in a deep shiver. Milos squinted, trying to make out the creatures. They wore high boots and short black tunics. Sharp daggers hung from their belts, daggers dripping with blood. Finally, their faces appeared, horrific, gnarly visages with a knot of snakes for hair, all snapping and hissing, like the one he saw in his grandfather's house. Milo stood tall behind Apollo, but now Apollo was backing up too. The god looked down at the human, his face racked with fear. What have you done, mortal? Those are not mere gorgons. Those are Irinies, the Furies. Milos pointed at them as they lowered themselves to the ground. Irinies, gorgons, what does it matter? You're the son of Zeus. Stop them. Apollo shook his head. I can't. You don't understand. Even my father can't rein them in. Milos broke into a cold sweat. 
Once again, he heard that distinct growl calling for him to atone. Only it wasn't a whisper in his head now, it was right in front of him, because the Irinies were flapping their way to land on the temple steps. Apollo held out his hands, entirely too cheery. Alecto, Tisiphone, Majira, welcome to my temple. Milos couldn't believe Apollo was being so hospitable. This god was weak, but Milos wasn't. So he screamed defiantly at the Irinies. Why are you doing this to me? I've done nothing wrong. The Irinies cackled with delight. Alecto shook her head. Did you believe this mortal's little innocent act, Apollo? Ah, oh, you gods are always so stupid. Tisiphone raised her dagger. Step aside, Apollo, unless you'd like to join him. Majira raised her knife, too, and cooed ravenously. I, for one, plan on eating this mortal's lungs while they still have breath in them. Milos's eyes shot back and forth between Apollo and the Irenes. He tried again to plead his case, but Apollo raised his hand to silence him. This was not going well. Alecto's mighty voice boomed out. This man has disregarded the laws of nature. He has murdered his own mother and slaughtered the innocent. You know the rules, Apollo. Milos must pay. Milos watched in horror as Apollo stepped aside, his head bowed reverently. The huntresses strode in unison to surround Milos. Alecto roared again. We require a penance, all of your blood, and we will drink it from your still beating heart. Milos spun on his heels and fled into the temple. It was his only chance. As soon as he entered the structure, it was gone in the blink of an eye. Milos was standing in an impossibly long, empty marble hallway full of white light. He turned back around. The storm was gone. Apollo and the Irinies were gone too. But a throng of bodies clogged the far end of the hallway. They were charging, arms outstretched, ashes drifting from their bodies onto the pristine marble floor. Though their skin was blackened and charred, Milos recognized them. They were the lepers and beggars he'd burned alive. Terrified, Milos turned and sprinted down the hall. He could hear the throng getting closer, their jaws snapping in hunger. He could smell their scorched bodies, and it turned his stomach. Milos ran faster. There was a door at the far end of the hall, the only way out. The horde drew closer, hands tugging at his tunic. But the door was close. He was almost there. Milos threw the door open and stepped outside. To find himself teetering on the rocky edge of a cliff behind the temple. He had no idea how he'd gotten there. The heavenly white hallway was gone, and so was his concept of reality. He wasn't even sure if he was still alive. He stared down at the roiling sea and the waves crashing around the jagged boulders below. If he jumped, 
the fall would certainly kill him. Milos turned around. The Irinies encircled him, knives pointed at his soft belly. The sisters began to chant. A chill shot through Milos. For the first time, he felt a tinge of remorse. Tears welled in his eyes as he pulled at his blood-stained tunic and thought, I killed my own mother. And for what? A few gold coins? What have I done? The Irinies inched closer. The ends of their knives poked into Milos's stomach. He shrieked in pain and cried out, No, I, I won't give you the satisfaction. Milos jumped backwards and sailed off the cliff. As he hurtled toward the rocky boulders below, he closed his eyes and smiled. At least he was going out on his own terms. The Irinies weren't going to drink his blood. And he would never repent for what he had done. Milos was so relieved, he barely felt his body being dashed apart on the jagged boulders below. Milos opened his eyes to see a familiar ceiling. He stood up and realized he was back in his mother's house. But that wasn't possible. He'd burned it down. Still, there was no denying it. Every last detail was exactly the same. If he was home, had this whole fiasco been a dream? He called out to his mother, but there was no answer. He ran to the front door and tried to push it open, but it wouldn't budge. Suddenly, the door burst into flames. Milos jumped back in horror as the fire quickly spread. He turned, desperate to find some other exit. But standing behind him were the Irinies. Their wings spread wall to wall. Alecto sneered. Welcome to Tartarus, Milos. Now you're ours forever. The Irinies lowered their wings to reveal a room full of dead, burnt lepers. Roasting in the flames that consumed the home, they stared hungrily at Milos. Slowly, the Irinies parted, and Milos's mother stepped through. Her gut was ripped open from Milos's blade, and it was still gushing blood. Milos wept as his mother hugged him tight, pulled out the blade, and buried it in Milos's stomach. Blood sprayed from his gut, and the Irinies lapped it up, smiling and savoring it. Just when he'd been bled dry, Milos suddenly felt whole and alive, only for his mother to stab him again, over and over and over. And there Milo stayed for eternity, locked in his mother's murderous embrace.
The Irinaeis serve a unique role in the pantheon of Greek deities. They answer to no one, and they decide which mortals deserve their particularly fiendish brand of punishment. While they appeared throughout ancient Greek lore, they're perhaps best known for their role in the Orestia, a trilogy of tragedies written by Aeschylus in the 5th century BCE. In it, their relentless quest for vengeance only ends when Athena offers them their own cult of worship. The Irinaeis accept the deal, but they insist on retaining rulership over childbearing and crop harvesting. This means that they can still make humans thrive or suffer as they see fit. Even with the chance to become legitimate gods, the Irinaeis want to make sure they can balance the scales of humanity. In ancient Greek city-states, local leaders made up laws largely at their own discretion, which meant that criminals could be rewarded and the innocent had little hope for actual justice. The Irinaeis' purpose was to keep the Greeks in line. They stopped people from acting selfishly when they thought no one else was looking and gave victims a bit of hope for some cosmic justice. Sacrifices to the gods can be made for help, and officials can be bribed for lenient sentences, but there is no refuge from the Irinaeis. If you do wrong, there will be consequences, in this world and the next. And the Irinaeis can't wait to see you suffer. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Amin Osman and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi there, it's Alastair from Parcast. You may have heard of the Somerton Man, Azaria Chamberlain, or the Wonder Beach Murders. But do you know the whole terrifying truth? Be sure to check out my new series, Crying Down Under, where we travel to the land down under to explore the most shocking true crime cases in Australian history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Down Under, and catch a new episode every Sunday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.